right. How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want you to join me, if you will, in the uh, New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, uh, the Gospel according uh, to Mark, chapter number 15. And if you'll find your place there, I want to read some verses here in just a moment. And then I'll ask you to leave your Bibles open as we try to piece together a story here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 15 this morning. All right? A Gospel of Mark, page number 1067 uh, in the Old Schofield Bible this morning. And I want to read some verses here in just a moment. I know things are kind of, we're in a hurry today. I get all that. Probably got a million things to do right after church this morning. And I get that. But uh, if you'll listen to me this morning, I think the, maybe the Lord has a message message for us here from this text today that I trust the Lord will help us with this morning. Let's pray. And we'll get right into the Word of God. Father, thank you so much for the fact that we celebrate today a risen Savior. And Lord, I think if it ever really dawned on us, uh, Lord, the same change that it made in those disciples many years ago would make in us today. And uh, God, we need this living in this day and age in which we live. We don't need to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Some of the greatest words that was said uh, on the morning of the resurrection was said when the angel said, be not afraid. And God, we don't don't have to be afraid, and I'm glad for that. So please bless your word this morning and just speak to our hearts and help us, I pray, and work in this setting this morning, in this congregation of people. I pray the Spirit of God would just help us this morning. And God, that you would speak to somebody's heart, either by the way of radio, live stream, or right here in person this morning. And I pray Jesus will just be lifted up and exalted, and God, people will be drawn to him this morning. And I pray with thanksgiving in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, since the middle of the month of January, we've been counting down Sunday by Sunday the weeks leading up to this very special day. In fact, in these Sunday morning services, if you think back, then you may remember that I've been preaching an entire series of messages that I've entitled Considering Calvary. Considering Calvary. For the last 10 Sunday mornings, starting in the middle of the month of January, we've been spending time at the foot of the cross. We've been lingering. We have been listening. And through the lens of the scripture, we've been looking at what took place at Calvary. The title Calvary, the name Calvary, is the Latin word for the place where Jesus was put to death. You know, it's only referred to, and we make a big deal about Calvary. And By the way, we ought to make a big deal about Calvary. But did you know the word Calvary is only mentioned one time in the Bible? And that's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 23. And Luke used the Latin word for it. He called it Calvary. All the other times in the Bible, it is referred to by the name Golgotha. That's the Hebrew word, and it simply means this. It means the place of the skull. You know, evidently, the place where the Lord Jesus was crucified, geographically speaking, uh, uh, it resembled that of a human skull with the eye sockets and the nose socket, and they named it the place of the skull. We've been tearing around old Skull Hill for the last 10 Sunday mornings continuously. And what we've been noticing recently is the people who stepped into and out of the scene and the story of Calvary. Last Sunday morning, we took a long look at an old boy who was brought into the crucifixion scene 
yearly because of an annual custom that went along with the feast of the Passover. I'm talking about Barabbas. Oh, Barabbas was a notorious criminal. Maybe I could say it like this. He was the Charles Manson of that day, a cutthroat, a murderer, uh, a terrorist in his own right. And yet we find in the story of Calvary that Jesus was put to death in the place of old Barabbas. Jesus died on the cross that was built for Barabbas. Or maybe I could say it like this, Jesus died in the place of Barabbas. You know, one of the great truths of our Bible is something called the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus. And that simply means that Jesus died as our substitute. Aren't you glad that he was willing to die in our place? He took our place on Calvary. But this morning, as we bring this entire series to a close, this resurrection Sunday morning, I want to preach on one final person who steps to steps into and out of the story of Calvary. He is a man that is only mentioned in three of the four Gospels, and yet we understand that he's uh, maybe not one of the more famous people, or maybe I should say infamous people of the story of Calvary, and yet he plays a great part in the story, the situation of Calvary. You know, we have all those infamous people who step into and out of the story of Calvary. I'm talking about those who betrayed the Son of God, those who fled from the cross of Calvary, those who mistreated the Son of God. There are the Judases in the story of Calvary. There are the Pontius Pilots and the Herods and the religious rulers of those days. There's the disciples. They all play prominent roles in the story of Calvary. But this man that we're going to talk about this morning is one of the lesser known people of the story of Calvary. And yet, because of what he did there that day, he's eternally linked to the story of Calvary. I'm talking about a man by the name of Simon. I want to preach a little bit about Simon this morning. And if I had a subtitle to my message, it would be this. Simon was the man for whom the cross made the difference. Aren't you glad the cross is still making a difference in this day and age in which you and I are living in? So let's talk a little bit about him. Let me read to you his story this morning. Look at Mark chapter 15. Look at verse number 17. The Bible said, and they clothed him, clothed Jesus with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him. And they were saying this, hail king of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshiped him and when they had mocked him they took off the purple robe from him and put on his own clothes and led him out to crucify him and they compel one Simon a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross and they bring him unto the place Golgotha which being interpreted is the place of a skull. Old Simon the Cyrenian. We don't think a lot about Simon. I, I told the early crowd and I will tell you again, I don't think I've ever in my whole life heard an entire message about Simon the Cyrenian. I'm not sure we can say when we leave the building this morning that we've heard about old Simon the Cyrenian. But I hope God has a message for us. God has something for us this morning in the life of this lesser known man of the story of Calvary. He is the man that the cross made a difference in his life. And if I could this morning, I'd like to piece together what 
what we're told about this man, try to flesh out a story from the few bones that we find in the Scripture this morning and make a message about how Calvary will make a difference in a person's life. So let's get started this morning. First of all, I want to talk a little bit, number one, about Simon the Compelled One. Simon the Compelled One. Now, i got to tell you, before Calvary, we really don't know a whole lot about this man by the name of Simon. We are, as I said a moment ago, given a brief sketch of his life, and as we piece together what the three of the four Gospels have to say about him, we find a little bit about his background that I'd like to share with you as we build upon his story. First of all, number one, we know that he was, according to the Scripture, a Cyrenian. Now, that simply meant that he was from the country of Cyrene. Now, we're from the country of the United States of America, and all over this world, we're known as Americans. Well, if you were from the country of Cyrene, you were known as a Cyrenian. The country of Cyrene was actually located on the northern coast in what would be today the country of Libya. In fact, the city that they say he was from would probably be somewhere around the city of Tripoli, which was an important city back in the days of World War II. But it was a country that was located on the northern coast of Africa, about 800 miles away from the city of of Jerusalem. So what we come to understand, number one, is this man, Simon, lived a long way from the city of Jerusalem, uh, around 800 miles, an 800-mile journey from where he lived to get to the city of Jerusalem. Then we find another interesting fact about old Simon. From book, the book of Acts chapter 13 in verse number one, we find that he was called Simeon, uh, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. Now, we know we're talking about the same people because, we're, again, we have the country of Cyrene that links them together. Now, he was called Niger, and the word Niger means of black nature or of a black complexion, a dark complexion. Now, there are really two opinions about who Simon really was. There are some people who think that Simon was a black man. He was from uh, the, the uh, uh, continent of Africa, from the uh, country of Cyrene back in those days, and he had become a Jewish proselyte, and he had actually taken on a Jewish name, the name Simon. That's a Jewish name, and it means he who listens, or it means he who hearkens. If that be true, if Simon was a black man, he has forever ennobled the black race as being the only person who helped Jesus bear and carry his cross. Some people think that he was a Gentile who had become a Jewish proselyte and thereby had made this trip from his country 800 miles to the city of Jerusalem. There are others who think that he was a Jew, a Jew by nature or by birth, and he was a Hellenist Jew. He was a Greek Jew, and he lived in the country of Cyrene. Now, we know one thing about these Cyrenian, these Cyrenian Jews. They were serious about their relationship with God. In fact, we find over in the book of Acts chapter 6 and verse number 9 that they had uh, so much uh, uh, of a knowledge of God that they even had their own particular synagogue in the city of Jerusalem. That reminds us of 
one thing, boy, these people were serious about knowing God. They had raised the money. They built their own synagogue. So when they traveled to the city of Jerusalem, they had a place to go and to hear from the Old Testament scriptures. These were the people. These were the notions about who this man by the name of Simon really was. Was he a black man, a Gentile that had converted to Judaism? I don't know. Was he a Jew that had just made the trip? I don't know. But the one thing that we do know about old Simon is this. This day in our text would be the day that would change the rest of his life. Oh, I pray this morning that this will be the day, this will be the service when somebody's life will be changed for time as well as eternity. Now, can you just imagine how excited Simon was to make the trip from Cyrene, 800 miles to the city of Jerusalem? Maybe this trip was on his bucket list. I mean, maybe he dreamed about, you know, being brought up in the country of Cyrene, converting either to Judaism or maybe a Cyrenian-born Jew. And there he was all those years. And one thing that he had on his bucket list, before he died, he wanted to make a trip to the city of Jerusalem. And he just didn't want to go just any time of the year, but he wanted to go on a special time of the year. And boy, did he pick out a great time to make a trip to the city of Jerusalem. He wanted to get there to celebrate the Passover. Now, you can just imagine how long it took him to get there. I'm talking about 800 miles. I read this week that the average person walking at the average speed can probably walk about 20 miles a day. In other words, it'll take an average person walking an average speed between 8 to 9 hours to walk 20 miles a day. Understanding that maybe he was just an average man, an average person, then doing the math, we find that it probably took him around, if not more, than 40 days, 40 days to walk from where he was. There were no Greyhound buses. There were no interstate highways where you could drive 90 in a 75 and be there and just like most of us drive and be there in just a matter of a few hours. It was all by foot or by beast. So he's been traveling now for maybe over 40 days just to get to the city of Jerusalem. You can just imagine how excited he was when he came through Egypt and saw the pyramids. And he got to thinking, man, it's not much farther now. I'll be there in just a little while. And he continued on. And then came the glad day, the good day, when he finally arrived at the city of Jerusalem. And he happens to be there at the very season of the Passover. Oh, he's so excited. His heart's beating out of his chest. You know how excited we get when it comes vacation time. I mean, buddy, June and July and August and September's coming up. I tell you what, I get excited about vacation time. I just develop a little bit of a better attitude. And boy, it gets stinky after I get back from vacation. But I like vacation. How about you? Yeah, there's a lot that goes into that. The preparation, packing, and, and for me, I always change the oil. I don't know why, but I change the oil in my car, wash the car. One time a year, I wash my cars right before I go on vacation. Amen. I vacuum it out. I put those smelly trees in there, young green cardboard things. And Man, I'm thinking I'm going from here to California when I'm going about four hours away. But I tell you what, friend, I'm excited about the trip. One can only imagine how excited old Simon was to get to the city of Jerusalem. But as he nears the gate that day, he finds the city in an uproar. I mean, man, as he is so excited about being there, there's a commotion going on. 
He hears shouting and he hears hollering as he approaches the gate of that city. Thousands of people are trying to get out of the gate of the city of Jerusalem. And he stands there in amazement as people are banging and pushing and shoving one against the other. And then to his amazement, he sees a Roman guard. And in the midst of that Roman guard, there is one that is bearing a cross. His eyes can't believe what he's seeing. He thinks about that one, and he notices that one that is bearing that cross. He gets to looking at him, and he doesn't even appear to be a man. He's been beaten so badly. He's been battered so much that were it not for his legs moving along, you couldn't even tell that he was a man. His face is bloodied. His eyes are swollen shut. There are gaping holes in the side of his face. Blood is oozing out of his body. He's plaited on his head with a crown of thorns and blood is trickling and oozing down his body. His back has been laid open. Oh, what a mangled mass of flesh. His back looks like a package of hamburger meat and the blood and the plasma and the bodily fluids are just oozing out. And Simon beholds that situation and he thinks to himself, what in the world is going on. This man doesn't even appear in the form of a man. Now he's heard about Roman crucifixion before. He knows that it's one of the worst forms of crucifixion. Those Romans don't put up with criminals acting uh, just any way. I mean those Romans will put you to death for violent crimes and evidently the man dragging the cross through the streets is a vile criminal. He's a wicked man that's cre uh, committed no doubt notorious crimes and he's being put to death by the Romans and he's bearing his cross. I read this week that that cross could weigh between 150 and 300 pounds. And Simon sees that man in the midst of those Roman soldiers struggling, stumbling, falling along, trying to bear that old rugged cross. But then as he hears the cries of the people, he hears them saying such things like this, Son of God, Messiah, Savior, miracle worker, man from Galilee. And they're cursing and laughing and ridiculing. And Simon thinks to himself, who is this man? And what has he done? And finally, as he watches that situation, the man bearing the cross reaches the end of his tether. He reaches the end of his human limitations and he falls face down in the refuge of the street of the city of Jerusalem. He can bear that cross no further. He's weak. His body has lost an extreme amount of blood. And it seems like that he just can't go home. And when he fell, the people begin to cheer. They begin to laugh and jeer at him and curse him. The Roman soldiers are beating him and mocking him and cursing at him, telling him to get up. But he's reached this end of his limitations. He can no longer bear that cross by himself. 
And it becomes apparent to those Roman soldiers, somebody is going to have to help him bear this cross. But the Romans are too dignified to do that. Those soldiers will not bloody their hands with the cross of the man in the middle. Those soldiers will not lower themselves uh, beneath their Roman citizenship to help bear the cross. And they dare not ask one of those Jews present. They're already up in a, in a, in a, in a uh, riotous state anyway. They don't want to incite more of a riot. They wouldn't dare grab one of those Jews and say, help him carry the cross. But then they see this swarthy-looking man, this man of a dark complexion. And one of the Roman soldiers grabs a hold of him, according to the Gospel of Luke, grabs him by the shoulder and throws him up to the cross and tells him that he must bear the cross of the man in the middle. One of the Roman soldiers it throws him down and he, and, he, and he gets under the cross of that man in the middle and he begins to help him bear that cross. Simon thinks to himself, this is not at all what I had planned. This was supposed to be an exciting time. This is vacation. This is a pilgrimage. This is a trip of a lifetime. This is not what I had planned for this trip. But Simon is the compelled one to bear the cross of the Savior. But now we read not only of Simon the compelled one, we read next of Simon the convicted one. Now you've got to understand that when Simon first picks up that cross, the blood that's running down that cross begins to run upon him. Simon looks at himself and he has blood on his face, blood on his shoulder and on his vesture. And at first, when he's made to pick up that cross and help Jesus carry the cross, he's embarrassed by it all. I mean, for crying out loud, if he's a Jew, the Jews view the, cur the cross as a curse from God. And, and what in the world would a Jew want to carry a cross when it's looked upon as being cursed by God? And now, if that isn't bad enough, being embarrassed by it all, having to bear that cross, next he becomes not only embarrassed, but he becomes embittered by it because he realizes that because he's picked up the cross and the blood is running upon him, he's now become defiled and unclean. He wanted to partake of the Passover. He wanted to be here on this festive occasion. He wanted to celebrate what God did centuries ago in bringing Israel out of Egypt. And now because of being forced into this situation, his trip is ruined. He cannot even celebrate the Passover. Passover. He's not only embarrassed by it all, he's embittered by it all. His whole trip is ruined. And if that isn't bad enough, the crowd that was cursing Jesus is now cursing him. The crowd that was ridiculing and mocking Jesus is now ridiculing and mocking him. The things they were saying about Jesus, they're now saying about him. They were clearing their throat and spitting upon Jesus, and now they're clearing their throats and spitting upon him. Now the Roman soldiers are scourging him just as they are the Lord Jesus Christ. But as Simon begins to look at this situation... He loses that bitterness and it turns into compassion. I don't know what it was, but he gets to noticing what's going on around him because there's two other men dragging their crosses through the city of Jerusalem that day as well. 
But they aren't at all acting like the man from Galilee. I mean, the crowd is cursing them, but they're cursing back at the crowd. The crowd is spitting at them, but they're spitting back at the crowd. I mean, the crowd is reviling and ridiculing them, but they're ridiculing and mocking the crowd. I mean, man, these men are vicious and vile, but the man that Simon is bearing his cross will not even open his mouth. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. And somewhere along the way, the eyes of Jesus meet up with the eyes of Simon. And he sees in those eyes, swollen almost shut, with blood and sweat running down upon them, he sees a look of compassion that he's never seen before. And his heart begins to melt toward the man on the middle cross. He follows him along. He drags that cross along with the Lord Jesus to the summit of old Skull Hill. And when he, when he gets up there, he lays the cross down. And those soldiers grab him and shove him back out of the way. And he watches then. He can't leave, though he wants to leave. He can't leave. He's like a magnet. He's drawn to that situation. He's got to stay and see how it turns out. In his mind, he's mulling over, who is this man? What's going on here today? And so he stays. And as he stays watching the scene, he sees those other two soldiers as they're fighting those Roman soldiers, those two criminals, those two thieves. They're fighting against the Roman soldiers. I mean, they're having a time getting them on the cross. I mean, man, those soldiers are biting at those Romans and they're cursing at them and they're clearing their throat and spitting upon them. Them Romans are struggling to get them boys on the cross. And finally they get them down, 10 or 20 of them, hold them down, and they nail them to the cross. But when it comes to Jesus, he just lays down voluntarily. No fussing, no screaming, no fighting, no spitting, no cursing. Simon thinks he's volunteering for this. And he begins to think, who is this man on the middle cross? And then as he stands there, he begins to hear what the man has to say. Through the excruciating pain being nailed to the cross, and they raise that cross up, and it falls into that prepared hole. And when he hits the bottom with such impact and such fury, it rips every bone in his body out of joint. And Jesus on that cross screams and cries, Oh, in the pain that he's in. Oh, he's suffering. But then the first words out of his mouth, and she looks over those people that are cursing him and mocking him and making fun of him and saying terrible things. He looks up and then he looks up to heaven and Simon hears him say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then one of those old thieves right in the middle of this thing who was formerly cursing and making fun of the man on the middle cross has a change of heart. And he looks over and he says something to the man on the middle cross, something like, Lord Jesus. He says something about a kingdom. And remember me, and of all things, the man on the middle cross, who was just being cursed by this man, looks back and says, Today 
Shalt thou be with me? And all such words he's never heard. And then at, at midday, when the sun is at its zenith and its brightest, all of a sudden, the clouds and the skies go dark. It's completely dark. It's, it's, it's midnight at midday. Simon is standing there and what is happening? And then all at once the earth begins to quake, quake and the rocks just start flying open. And if that isn't enough, somebody's just come from a cemetery and said there's a disturbance going on at the cemetery. Graves are open up. Dirt's everywhere. Graves have opened up. And if that isn't enough, somebody just run out of the temple. There's a rumor being circulated around that in the temple, that old veil is just rent from the top down to the bottom. Simon says, could this somehow be connected? Does this somehow have something to do with what's going on here today? And before the day is over, one of those Roman soldiers stands there and points to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, and says, truly, this was the Son of God. Conviction is rising up in the heart of old Simon. And if all that isn't enough, he watches as those soldiers come along after six hours. They're wanting to hasten on the death now of these men that are being crucified. So they bring this mallet and they break the legs of those who are hanging there so they can no longer push up and take an air and slump back down, which prolongs life. So what they would do is they break their legs so they can no longer push up. Once their legs are broken, they're there and die from suffocation. They can't breathe. That's how they die. They come along and those other two are still alive. And They take that mallet and they break their legs and oh, they scream out in pain. But when they come to the one in the middle, he's already dead. And one of those Roman soldiers in an act of great contempt and hatred draws his sword out of his side and he runs up and he rams it into the side of the Son of God. And what little blood is left begins to ooze and water runs down the side of his leg and off the cross. Sam, Simon says, who is this man? What's happening here today? Simon is now the convicted one. But I want to wrap his story up by telling you this. He's not just the compelled one and the convicted one. Well, let me tell you about old Simon because he's the converted one. You know, I don't know when it happened. I don't know when it happened. But can I say, number one, that cross made a difference in his faith. I don't know when it happened. I don't know if it happened that day. I don't know if it happened on the day of Pentecost because the Bible said 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus was the day of Pentecost. I don't know if for that 50 days, I don't know if for that 50 days, Simon was mulling that over in his mind as he stayed there. And he was thinking about what he had seen. And then all of a sudden, word comes that the one who had died was alive. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's being seen around the city. I mean, he's, he's actually taking stuff and he's eating it. And, and, he, and he's telling people, thrust your hand into my side. That one that I saw die is being noised that he's alive. Simon thinks, what is going on? Maybe it was on the day of Pentecost. 
when the Holy Spirit came in great power. And Simon Peter, that former coward that had denied knowing Jesus, walked out of that upper room and down to Main Street in the city of Jerusalem and said, you by wicked hands have taken and crucified the Lord of glory. And Simon was cut in his heart. He was convicted in his heart. He saw it. He heard it. He experienced it. And oh, it's real. And that day Simon gave his heart to Jesus. You say, preacher, how you know for sure? It's easy. The Bible tells me so. Can I tell you, this same man, Simon, became a leader in the early church. In fact, the Bible said he was not just a leader, that he was a prophet and a teacher. Let me show it to you. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called, there's that old boy, and Lucius from Cyrene. You know what happened? The cross had made a difference in his life. And he accepted the sacrifice of the Son of God. The cross makes the difference. It changed his life. And let me tell you this, furthermore, not only did he become a prophet and a teacher, but he became a member of the church of Antioch, which was a launching pad for missions because, because Simon wanted others to know about the Jesus that he had met. Oh, it made a difference in his faith. But I'm done now, but come up close. I'm drawing us in. I'm about ready to cast the net. Here we go. It made a difference in his family. You know, the cross will make a difference in your family. Let me show you something interesting in Mark chapter 15. I want you to look at verse 21 because we're told that Simon, not by accident, but he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now we know something else about him. He was not just a prophet and a teacher, he's a daddy. He's got two boys, one of them named Rufus and the other named Alexander. Furthermore, we know he's got a wife. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how all this played out, but here's what I think happened. After all that was over, old Simon got back home to Cyrene. First thing he did when he got home that night, he called Alexander and Rufus and Mama. They all sat down there in the living room. And he said... I got to tell y'all something. I tell you, I went up there. It was just supposed to be a vacation of a lifetime. But I just want to tell y'all what happened to me while I was there. It's changed my life. Your daddy ain't like he used to be. I got to tell you something, boys. Y'all got a brand new daddy. And mama, you got a brand new husband. Let me tell y'all what happened to me while I was there. And he went through the whole story of Calvary. And mama and Rufus and Alexander... All got saved because the cross will make a difference not only in your faith, it'll make a difference in your family. Now I can prove it and I'm done. I'm done. Look at this verse right here. Many years later, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says this, Tell Rufus, I said hello, and be sure to tell his mama, I said hey, and by the way, Rufus's mama is my mama. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. You know, Rufus's mama's just become like my mama. Be sure to tell him. I said hello. Evidently, Rufus is a leader in the church of Rome, and his mama's there with him, and Paul just is so close to him that he feels like Rufus's mama is his mama. And then in Acts chapter number 19... 
We have the story of Alexander who lived in the city of Ephesus. And oh, Alexander who lived in the city of Ephesus took a stand for Christ, which leads me to believe the whole outfit gave their heart to Jesus because Daddy gave his heart to Jesus. Can I tell you this? The cross will make a difference in you and it'll make a difference in your family. Now I'm done. I know ham's cooking, chicken casserole, green beans, potato salad, and strawberry stuff, for lack of knowing what to call it, is waiting on me at home and we got to go. But I got to get you to listen to one more thing and we're done. Think about this. So he lives in Cyrene, which is 800 miles from Jerusalem. And he arrives there at the very moment Jesus is coming out of the city of Jerusalem. What are the chances? I mean, if he'd have left a few hours earlier or a few hours later, if he'd have stopped and spent time at the pyramids in, England, in, 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 in Egypt, or he'd have just maybe made the trip a little bit later, he would have, demit, he would have missed that divine encounter with the Lord Jesus. Is it not amazing that God had him there at the right place, at the right time, in the right moment, so that his life could be forever changed by the cross? I wonder who is sitting right here in this service today. And I got to tell you, you're not here by accident. God has brought you to this place at the right time, the right place, at the right moment so that your life could be forever changed by the cross of Jesus Christ. He'll not only make a difference in how you die, He'll make a difference in how you live. The cross will make a difference in your life. Hey, do you know Jesus today as your Savior? Have you ever accepted the payment that He made on Calvary? Have you ever, have you ever put your faith like Simon did in the one who died in your place. If you've not, oh, I just want to tell you, on this Resurrection Sunday morning, the cross still makes the difference. Amen and amen. You say, preacher, I'm not sure about that. Can I tell you this? If you'll just look around you this morning, they're sitting in this building, all kind of old drunks. I can even point you to a meth cooker or two that's in here. I can show you some ladies that were very loose in their standards of living. I could take you to some people that drugs were just a part of their culture and life. But I tell you, you say, preacher, what happened to them? The cross made a difference. And I want to tell you, the cross still makes the difference today. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray this morning.